Hello, and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane. I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. I'm excited to bring you my conversation with Liz Thames, aka Mrs. Frugalwoods, on today's episode. For those of you unfamiliar with Liz, she is the author of Meet the Frugalwoods, the intriguing story of how she and her husband realized that the mainstream path wasn't for them. They crafted a lifestyle of sustainable frugality and reached financial independence at age 32. While not everyone wants to live in the woods or quit their jobs, many of us do want to have more control over our time and our money and lead more meaningful, simplified life. Today, we'll discuss the motivation to leave the city to pursue homesteading, sacrifices she made to live differently, her best tips to live frugally, and more. But before we get to the conversation, I wanted to encourage you to leave a rating and review if you haven't done so yet. I know that there are some of you that have been listening since the beginning of this podcast and you have yet to do so yet. So if you could just pause, take 30 seconds and leave a rating and review, it would really help this podcast succeed and grow. And then lastly, before we get to the interview, I just wanted to hear how you're enjoying minimalist moms living and parenting with simplicity. Let me know how you're enjoying that. I'm starting to see reviews come in on Amazon and Goodreads. And just people are so sweet in my direct messages on Instagram and Facebook. So I so appreciate what I've heard so far. And if you haven't grabbed a copy yet, head over to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or where books are sold online and let me know what you think. Again, thank you all so much for supporting The Minimalist Moms by just listening, again, leaving rating and reviews, or following along on social media. It really does mean so much to me just to see this community grow. So I appreciate you all for listening. And now for my conversation with Liz. Liz, thanks so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I read your book a few years ago and I really wanted to talk to you and debrief with you at that point. So it is a few years post that, but I'm excited to have you here today. But people probably don't know what I'm talking about. So before we get into our entire conversation, I'll just allow you to introduce yourself to the listeners and maybe tell me if you consider yourself a minimalist. Sure. So I'm Liz Thames, although most people know me as Liz Frugalwoods, and I write the blog Frugalwoods, and I wrote a book a couple years ago called Meet the Frugalwoods. So you can find me, if you type in Frugalwoods, you will find me. I live in Vermont on a homestead of 66 acres with my husband and our two girls who are three and five and who are downstairs probably making a ton of noise. <laughs> and we reached financial independence a couple of years ago, left the city and decided to pursue this more meaningful life, more meaningful for us out here in rural Vermont. So that's what we do. We homestead, I write, we take care of our kids. And I consider myself to be kind of like a bad minimalist because <laughs> I have a lot of minimalist tendencies, but then there is an inherent tension between frugality and minimalism mm -hmm. because a, a tenant of frugality is that you sort of take any free things that come your way and you store them and keep them in case you might need them one day. And so I am always questioning myself, um, 
do I need to keep this or is this just my desire to hoard material goods? You know, can I let go of these things and have fewer items in my life? My husband is a true minimalist. The man would own probably nothing other than farm equipment, like tractors, you know, barn related stuff. He's got a lot of that, but he helps to keep me more minimalist, I would say. Well, So take me back. You are living in Vermont. You once were living in New York City, living a completely different lifestyle. What prompted that change? That's a huge shift. Mm -hmm. My husband and I lived in New York City, Washington, D.C., Cambridge, Mass., right outside of Boston. And so we kind of kept moving to these big cities thinking, this will be the one. This is where we will finally realize what we want to do with our lives. And we were, it was around the time we were about 28, 29. We had just bought our first house in Cambridge, Mass. And we both had jobs that we had always thought would be our dream jobs. We said, you know, this is when we get these jobs, when we buy this house, we had just adopted a dog, you know, live in the dream. This will be the point at which we really feel fulfilled and content. And we were in a coffee shop on a Saturday afternoon, something you can do before you have kids. Like nobody was even running around knocking down the straw display. So that was this, you know, this wonderful time when we were able to sit there and talk and reflect. And we said, why do we both still feel so stressed, so unfulfilled and under so much pressure, even though we have achieved all of these things that we thought would be the path to, you know, quote unquote, happiness. And what we realized is that we are happiest when we're out in the woods. So we started hiking together kind of early on in our marriage. And it was this touch point for us of going on these really long hikes. Again, that's another thing you can do before kids. You can like leave at 4 a.m. and drive to New Hampshire and, you know, scale a couple of peaks and then come home late at night. Mm -hmm. And we realized, you know, that's when we are actually feeling the most alive the least stressed out and essentially the happiest. And so we started to question, okay, these things that we've been chasing, these societal success points that everyone says you should do, we have done them. We have gotten married. We have bought a house. We have advanced in our careers. We have saved money really carefully. And yet we're not feeling that sort of fulfillment that society told us you will feel this if you do all of these shoulds. And so we really had to do kind of a big deconstruction exercise of, okay, well, so if the normal stuff does not make us happy, what could we do to reach happiness? And I I hate to use the word happiness because that implies being gleeful and joyful all the time. And that's not really what it is. It's much more about contentment and fulfillment and feeling that you are living an intentional life of purpose. And that just was not what we were feeling going into offices every day. Mm -hmm. So that was the watershed moment for us making the decision to work towards financial independence, be able to leave our jobs in the city and then come out here to rural Vermont. And it was a big leap. You know, before you do something like this, you don't know that you're going to love it. And we have loved it. We love our property, love our community. We hike every day in our woods, which is a a big piece of making sure that we are connecting with the reason why we're here. And we're on this sort of journey together of, you know, how do we want to raise our kids? How do we want to live? And I think it's kind of that constant questioning that we feel very comfortable with 
now that we didn't feel comfortable with before this? So you're very intentional about getting outdoors, which is something that I feel passionate about as well. I try to do that every day. I wish that we had more woods surrounding us so that we could have a similar lifestyle, but I digress. What does your lifestyle look like now or that you were prompted and had this desire to, I don't know, not live the way that culture prompts us, but that is not the norm. So how does it look different from the norm right now? Well, there would be two answers, the pre-pandemic and the during the pandemic life. But essentially what happens is my husband and I divide up the childcare. So he's with the kids in the morning. I take them in the afternoon. And then when we are, when the, when you're not with the kids, you get to sort of work on the projects that you want to work on. So for me, that's usually writing and then hiking. And for him this week, it's building a chicken coop and hiking. And so yesterday he had to repair the driveway because the rain washed out one of our culverts. So it's kind of this ongoing flow of different activities every day, which really rejuvenates us. And we feel so fortunate that we're able to do that. And, you know, the way that we were able to do that is by really letting go of a lot of things that society says we should do. Mm. So letting go of this idea that we always need to buy new clothing, letting go of the idea that um, we need to buy new kit, new toys for our kids for Christmas. We don't do that. Mm -hmm. There is a lot that we do that is counter to the dominant culture, but then that just feels so natural for us. And that doesn't feel like, I, um, it does not feel like deprivation. It does not feel like we're missing out on something and it does not feel like a loss. So it's really a question of values based spending. And I write most about money management, but this really plays into the tenets of minimalism as well. So it's really thinking about your highest and best priorities your resources, right? And most people's resources are time and money. So there's a finite amount of those things. And then it's questioning, am I using my most important resources in service of my highest and best values? Mm-hmm. The answer is not always going to be yes. You know, we're not, nobody is ever sort of like humming along at this level of perfection, especially not if you have little kids. Mm-hmm. But it is this question of stepping back before turning to kind of the standard solution. So it's, you know, I can give a very, very concrete example. Um, When the pandemic started and school was closed and our kids were home, I really wanted to buy this like $200 inflatable bouncy house that you put inside. (laughs) I was like, oh, this is going to be great. But I stepped back. I took a couple days and I realized, you know what? We already have a trampoline that works just Mm -hmm. fine and we can spend more time outside. You know, we have the luxury and the opportunity to walk across logs and climb trees and jump in streams and get really muddy. And so it's that, that it's really putting some space Mm -hmm. in between that immediate desire and then acting on it and, and doing that in kind of many different aspects of our lives has been really refreshing for us. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's a muscle you can exercise like anything else. It's, you know, you can teach yourself to step back not only before purchases, but before actions. Like, do I, do I really want to sign up for that volunteer opportunity? You know, will I really have the time to put towards it? Do I really want to say that I'm going to spend money on this thing? Do I actually have the money to put towards it? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure people are listening and 
I related a lot to you when I was reading your book because it's honestly, my husband and I, prior to having kids, we would sit in coffee houses in Columbus all the time. That was something that we just loved to do together. We were both big readers. We just wanted to do that. We wanted to hike, which in Ohio, you can't really, the hiking looks a lot different than it does on the coasts or even in West, West Virginia. But we loved being outside together. We had very similar lifestyles, but it seems really daunting to say, oh, we're going to be financially independent. We're going to totally uproot our lifestyle. Like there is sacrifice there. So I want to know more about what you've sacrificed. And I'm like, maybe we can do that ourselves. So I'm curious to to what it has looked like to sacrifice. You said certain things like clothes or toys, but what else has been involved to get to that point? Sure. So I have a lot to say on this topic, which you can tell because I wrote a whole book about it and I have a whole blog about it, which I've actually been writing since I think 2014, which is, I think the longest I've ever committed to doing anything. So clearly I have a lot to say about this. So if you are a listener who really wants to dive into the financial um, suggestions and examples that I give. It's all free on my website. You don't even have to buy my book. You know, I'd love it if you did, but you can get it for free on my website. And I offer a free 31 day Uber frugal month challenge. Mm -hmm. So if you're like, okay, I'm ready to kickstart this. I want to get on top of my money, take that free challenge, go from there, read some free articles. Maybe you'll be interested in the book. I also do what I call reader case studies at least once or twice every month. And that's where a real person, not a fake person, Mm -hmm. writes into me, sends me their full financial picture, and we go through it together. So you can read those and and see yourself in those case studies and say, okay, you know, I also have three kids. I also live in the Midwest. You know, here are the the really specific things I could do. So if you want to drill down to like how I feel about 401ks, Mm -hmm. you can do that on the blog. In general, it starts with this awareness, right? So this desire to do something different. It's so much like any other like quote unquote lifestyle change. Mm -hmm. You have a partner, being on board together is really crucial. You know, this is not really something that you can kind of do in isolation because it's probably going to impact your entire life. Many people come to financial independence as a couple after they have kids, because, you know, they've, they've reached this point in their careers where they're really questioning kind of, am I going to do this for the next 20, 30 years? Like, is this really what my life is going to look like? Mm -hmm. And so for many of us, we come to it late twenties, early thirties, and are really hoping to maybe achieve financial independence before we're 40. So Mm -hmm. I'm 37 now just to give people some context. And I started on this journey really when I got my first job. Mm-hmm. So it started very early with saving money okay. and it was, I always had this sense that I wanted to do something more with my life. That's so vague. I had no idea what it was. I was like 24 living in New York city. I didn't know what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. but I knew that having debt or overspending was not going to let me get there. And that was kind of all I knew about money. Like I didn't, I didn't know anything about finances. I have a degree in creative writing. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm, financial management was like, I don't, not even really sure what that means. Mm -hmm. That seems to be bad. So I'll try to avoid that. So it started very early. And then it, my husband is very similar in that respect to me. And we both wanted to advance in our careers. So, you know, I have to say, you can do this with any salary level. It is easier if you make more money. You know, I don't, I don't want to cloak that fact. If you make more, you can save more. So we both had 
really good jobs. I had a master's degree, so that allowed me to earn more. My husband was a software engineer, which is just a, a, a pretty well-paying field. And so together, we were able to save money, um, invest that money, and try to be really careful about the ways in which we spent and earned our money. Mm-hmm. So this lifestyle of kind of saving and investing over time is what allowed us to do this. But you can start this process at any point. You know, I work with people who are in their early 20s and people in their late 60s. And there is an opportunity for everyone to bring their spending into alignment. So it starts with this kind of like questioning of, you know, I feel like maybe what I'm doing with my life and my money is not what I want to be doing. And then it's taking the time to sit down, look through all your finances, figure out how much you're spending every month figure out what exactly your take-home pay is, look at the assets that you have, the debts that you have, and go from there. And so I think there is an opportunity for anyone at any stage to kind of step into this process. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want people to feel like, oh, I didn't start when I was 23 and I don't make a lot of money, so I can't do this. There are ways that everyone can become frugal or become financially independent in a way that's going to be comfortable for you and work with the lifestyle that you have, the career you have. And I also want to say, it's not about leaving your job. A lot of people say, Oh, I love my job. I'm going to do it forever. It's much more about not needing your job. Mm -hmm. So I choose to work, you know, I write every day because I absolutely love it. Yeah. If something happened to me and I could not do that anymore, I don't need that income. And Mm -hmm. so it's kind of, removing that need and that, oh, if I miss a paycheck, I cannot pay my bills. Mm-hmm. And it's creating space in between your expenses and your income. Yeah. I, I'm i with you. I think that anyone can get to that point. It really is just a matter of how much are you spending. And I like that you mentioned awareness being one of the most important things that got you there because it really is that awareness that you use as a minimalist in trying to remember that marketers are trying to tempt you with things. I mean, that's their whole job is they're trying to sell. And so I think having the awareness of one, you can't take it with you when you die. So everything, all of our tangible possessions are left behind. So when you, I know that's kind of a morbid thought, but it really does help me prioritize things that do matter, like relationships and experiences in this lifetime. But also, am I buying these things just to prove a point to other people? Or I don't know. I I, I like that you said awareness. I want to shift. Um, I didn't ask you this question prior to this conversation, but I'm curious what your friends and family members think about this whole thing that's happened. Because again, it's so drastic what you guys have done. And I think that sometimes that holds us back too um, from making certain decisions because people that we love are living certain ways. And so it's hard for them to understand why, what our motive would be in wanting to live counterculture. So I guess, have you received any pushback from anyone? And I guess it doesn't matter in the long run, but I'm just curious what that's looked like. I get this question a lot. And it's interesting because I haven't really gotten any pushback. And I think that's for a couple of reasons. Our families always knew that we were weird. Like we have, my husband and I have just both always been sort of like different, unusual Mm -hmm. kids my parents, I'm the youngest of three and I'm the youngest by a lot. My sister is 13 years older than me and we have a brother in between. And so my parents were like, by the time I came along, like very experienced parents, kind of like 
whatever, this kid's going to be fine. And just really let me sort of explore, do the things I wanted to do. Didn't have a lot of rules because I was a natural rule follower. And so they have always encouraged us to do the things we want to do. And actually my siblings both have pretty non-traditional jobs as well. And actually we're all very non-traditional. And so I think in my family, it's, it's not really that unusual. They're like, Oh yeah, we always knew you would do something weird. Mm -hmm. So to them, it was kind of like, Oh yeah, of course you're going to do this. Mm -hmm. And for my husband's family who I'm very close with, I would say they are probably slightly more conventional, but also very encouraging of kids to do their own thing. And my husband his whole life has done unusual things. Like as a middle schooler, what he liked to do was volunteer at the uh, planetarium with the old guys, like watching, watching the stars all night long. And then he was a storm chaser, just kind of all of these sort of unusual hobbies that his parents always encouraged and said, if that's what you want to do, go ahead. You know, you want to stay up all night and look at planets? No problem. And so I think we've, we've always had that sense of like, oh, we can do other things. We don't have to kind of do these prescribed things. And then, so that's one piece of it that they kind of saw this coming. And then the other piece of it is that I am not an evangelist of our lifestyle, which is interesting because I write about it. I talk about it all the time. But when I'm with my friends and family, it's not what I'm talking about. You know, I am not saying oh, I cannot believe you bought those new jeans. Like, do you, can you really afford that? Have you fully funded your IRA this year? I don't, that's not my approach at all. And so I am much more, I am available if people have questions and friends come to me a lot for, you know, can you help me? Actually, someone just texted me to ask if I can look at her retirement investments. I'm like, of course I can, Mm -hmm. but it's not something that I lead with. So I'm just kind of a passive resource. And I think that has become easier the longer I do this. You know, I think when you have that fervor of like, I've discovered this new thing and it is the best, whatever that is, a food a diet, a way of life, a city, Mm -hmm. a a new relationship, you know, you, you, you've got to tell everybody, but now it's like, I've been doing it for so long. Like, you know where I stand, Mm -hmm. you do you. Uh, And that has really enabled me to just have very normal, fulfilling relationships with my family and friends. And again, I'm a resource. They can ask me questions, but I do not present with judgment. And I think that works really nicely to allow me to have a separation because at a certain point, this is my career versus my life. And I do live out these principles. You know, that is how I live my life. But if I go to a dinner party, it's, it's not like, I'm like, Oh, how much did you pay per ounce for this beef? You know, that I do not do that. So I think that that's a really important tenant of making sure that you're just like being a nice person. Cause even though you've discovered minimalism or frugality or whatever it is, like people either don't want it or they're going to come to it in their own time. And I promise you, they will ask you questions if you have them. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, I was curious. I feel like sometimes I'm, I listen to podcasts and I have all these other questions that I wish that I could just have a one-on-one with the person when I'm listening to like, I don't know, fill in the blank. I was going to say Joe Rogan, but some people might not like him in my audience. So I'll probably cut that out. (laughs) Um, He is, he's not everyone's cup of tea. He's not really even my cup of tea, but I find some of his interviews really fascinating. Um, Okay. So somewhat wrapping up here, I want to hear some of your best tips on frugality. And again, these probably somewhat go along the lines with some of the sacrifices you've had to make, because I'm thinking about where 
we could save money and I'm holding this like coffee cup right now as I'm talking to you. And I'm like, that it would be a big expense that we could cut up. Yeah. You make it at home. Um, I spent $3 on this black coffee that I could make it. Whatever. Home. Listen, if I could drive to a coffee shop right now, I would. Okay. <laughs> Just to be clear. Yeah. So I guess what are some of your best tips to being frugal and don't share obviously all of them because I want people to seek you out and find your materials, but what are just some of your top tips that you can give to people? So focus on the big stuff. We love to like shame people like, Oh my God, I can't believe you bought a $3 coffee, whatever, buy the $3 coffee. Like how much of a difference is that I going to make now? If you're spending $15 a day in a coffee shop, yeah. you know, do the math. That's, that is going to have a real difference, but you're buying coffee periodically. What, you know, who cares? Yeah. Do the math and figure out how much it actually matters. So I like to focus on the, the top line items. So that's going to be your rent or your mortgage, your groceries, your transportation, and then your utility bills. Mm -hmm. And I really encourage people to bring intentionality to these things that we assume are like totally fixed. Like I can't do anything about my grocery bill. Yes, you can. Mm -hmm. And then I move down to utilities, cell phone bills. There are ways to frugalize all of these. And I think it's a lot more useful and a lot more rewarding to focus on the big stuff than to say, oh, I spent $6 on coffee in March. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm not really about that. Now, if you need to, if you are in a situation where you really need to save money, you know, you've lost your job, your partner's lost your job, you are in debt, then yeah, you need to cut out the coffee, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not what's going to get you to financial independence. I am very big on not depriving yourself. So pre-pandemic, my husband and I go out to a restaurant once a month. We eat, spend whatever we want. You know, we're not like sharing an entree or trying to save money when we do something that is a definite treat. So again, it's intentionality. So it's not saying, oh, I forgot to cook. It's six o'clock. I guess we have to order in. Yeah. It's saying, oh, this is the Thursday of the month where we have decided that we're going to spend $60 on takeout and we're going to really enjoy it because this is a very specified treat. Mm -hmm. So I encourage people to bring that level of intentionality. And what often happens is that your spending reduces because you realize, oh, I'm actually getting takeout three times a week. I thought it was just once a week, but then I keep forgetting to defrost the chicken and then we do this. And so a lot of people are able to sort of passively save a bunch of money just by reviewing their expenses line by line and saying, mm -hmm. I cannot believe I was spending this much on X. Mm -hmm. So the next thing to do is to look for substitutions. So one substitution, the really obvious one, make your coffee at home. Mm -hmm. We make really nice coffee at home. You know, that was kind of a trade-off for us. Like if I'm not going to be buying the expensive coffee, I'm going to grind my own beans and like make some pretty nice coffee at home. Yeah. Other substitutions are ways to get what you already have for less. So when we lived in the city, I used to work at the front desk of my yoga studio. This was again, pre-kids. I could like volunteer at the front desk yeah. and I'd get a free yoga class. But then I thought about it and I was like, could I do that now with kids? I could because it was only a half an hour. I had to be at the desk for half an hour. And then I got free yoga all week. Mm -hmm. For you know, it was twenty dollars a class. So things like that, where again, you can get a really high return on your investment. Mm -hmm. So you know, twenty dollars a week, three times a week on yoga—that's some real money when you add it up and just times twelve. See how much it is a year. Mm -hmm. um, really focusing on that stuff that is a bigger drain. And then with kids, it's like the recurring expenses, right? Like I'm not bothered by the like super nice safe car seat you bought you know, that's, that's going to be a one-time expense mm -hmm. or a two-time expense. 
for me, it's much more about like their clothes, their toys, their books, because they outgrow this stuff just Mm -hmm. astronomical rate. So for me, it's looking at the things that we buy repeatedly. So if you use disposable diapers, there are some really cheap disposable diapers and there are some really expensive ones. So I have some posts that break down like price per diaper, price per wipe. Mm -hmm. Um, I did breastfeeding, but if you do formula feeding, like I have readers who wrote in like, here are the cheapest and best formulas and really being intentional again with the repeated stuff. So you're not stressing out about kind of, oh, I'm going to send my kid to soccer camp because they really love soccer camp. Good, send them to soccer camp, but have used cleats and used shin guards. You know, there's just so much of this stuff can be gotten used. So for my kids, they have totally hand-me-down and used clothes. I get hand-me-downs from friends and then I am a major garage sale, yard sale shopper. And then build a network with your fellow parents. Like my mom friends and I, we just trade and swap. Like I found a snowsuit for my friend's daughter for a buck. So I bought it for her. She bought boots for my little one, you know, for 50 cents. Mm -hmm. So kind of being aware of the community that you can surround yourself with because everybody likes to save money. Everybody likes to find this stuff used. Same thing for toys. All of their toys are used. They're either hand-me-downs or they're from yard sales or thrift stores. There's just, I cannot even think of something that I've had to buy new other than like craft supplies. They like fly through craft supplies, but toys and books, I'm able to find this stuff used. And so again, it's not a level of deprivation. It's not like they're not having a Christmas or a birthday. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm not spending any money on it. And I've done some breakdowns on like how much I've spent. And it's something like maybe 40 bucks for both of them for Christmas, Mm -hmm. you know, for my daughter's birthday, it was like $2 on some (laughs) crotch stuff. Mm -hmm. And they are completely thrilled. Mm -hmm. This will change and evolve as they get older. Mm -hmm. But it's also a question of saving money on stuff that does not matter so that you can spend when it does matter. So if my girls want to go to whatever that is, that expensive soccer camp, gymnastics, Mm -hmm. that's not going to be a strain Mm -hmm. because I've spent so little on sort of what I consider to be the stuff that doesn't matter. You know, they have free furniture, free crib, free strollers back when yeah. we were in strollers. Um, and so it's, it sometimes is a question of having that long-term view. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't mean that you never buy something new. This doesn't, that doesn't mean that you restrict yourself and tell your child, well, you have to wait till I find it at a garage sale. That's not it. It's just having that awareness. Like, does my three-year-old actually care if it's a new Madeline doll? Yeah. yeah. She's so happy with the used Madeline doll. So looking at the recurring expenses, looking at the biggest expenses, not beating yourself up and not saying, oh, just because I do this, I can never go out for coffee. That's that's not what it is at all. It's mm-hmm. it's much more about being strategic and using sort of this life hack approach than it is about um, restricting yourself. No, those are all really great tips. I have so, I have comments for each one of the things you said, but I'll I'll just let you keep it at that. Well, Ooh, I want to know I want to know what your comments are. Okay. Um. Well, you said how the Madeline doll, for example, you said that she has a used one. We were at Target, and um, my daughter's birthday was coming up, and she had just watched Toy Story, and that little who is it, Bo Peep. She really wanted the Bo Peep doll, and. I was like, Charlotte, I think that we could probably find this. Let me let me just look really fast before we add this to your birthday list. And on Facebook Marketplace, I just did a quick search and the same Bo Peep, brand new, was for $6. And so I ordered it. It was- um, Yes! Yeah. And so I was like, oh, that's awesome. So it's things like that that 
I don't know. It's a definitely a shift in thinking and how you go about doing certain things. But again, I, I say this all the time on the podcast, once you get used to doing that and living that way, it doesn't seem so daunting in the day to day. It just is how you live. So that was one thing. And then as you're talking about toys, I'm thinking when you have experiences that you can give to your kids on the day to day, toys don't seem as important, I guess. So my example would be we asked for memberships to different places around Columbus. So that's the conservatory, the science museum, the zoo, and there was one other one. But a lot of the times, like we go to the zoo once a week. So we don't necessarily need, I don't want to say we don't need as many toys, but it's like we're filling that with other things. And so I'd rather be gifted the memberships to where we can use them all year than have an abundance of toys that we don't necessarily need because we're not even home very much. And so I don't know, it's little things like that that are counterculture, I guess, but also I have that flexibility because I'm a stay at home mom. So I'm able to go do those things with my kids where I understand that some people don't. But again, we sacrificed to have me stay at home. There is sacrifice within the lifestyle that I lead to and what we prioritize as important. So I think that that's what it it does come down to. And it's what it seems like what it came down to for you guys and what you were looking to be fulfilled. I love that you said that, that you wanted to just not have happiness because happiness, I feel like can be all relative and you can have it in any circumstance. But what is fulfilling us if we have the ability to obtain that, I guess? And I think I love that you brought that up because it's also a question of when you are like living this life that you enjoy living, you don't feel like you need those treats. Yeah. I need so many more like quote unquote treats when I was working, you know, nine to five in an office because I was like, oh, I do not like how I'm spending my days. Whereas now, you know, I work in the morning and then we're going to this like local waterfall to hike this afternoon. And there's not really space in there for me to need to buy a new dress, which was like totally what I would do at work. I was like, Ooh, I get that dress. I can get that dress because I, I don't need to sort of like assuage this like pain of not enjoying my day to day. Mm -hmm. And one thing I will say on toys, I'm going to be exactly the opposite of you because the pandemic, Oh my gosh, we've been home all year. Everything was closed. It was really cold. So we were inside a ton. Mm -hmm. So I use the simplicity parenting. Do you know that book? I use this idea of very few toys. So Mm -hmm. I do the toy swap, which you're, I'm sure your listeners are like, 100% familiar with. It was new to me. I was like, this is genius. Mm -hmm. So we don't have very much out at a time. Like Mm -hmm. our main room downstairs is sort of, it looks like a preschool, but like a very minimal preschool. (laughs) There's a couple of each thing. Like there's two dolls, there's one truck, there's, well, there has to be like two baby strollers because there were some major fights, but they don't have all their stuff out. And then every two weeks or so, or more often when it's really cold and we're in more, mm-hmm. I swap it out. And I mean, it is like brand new toys. I'm like, this was just out a month ago. And they're like, oh my gosh, we've never seen this hedgehog puzzle. I'm like, yeah. okay. <laughs> so, you know, if you have the space and the time, the bandwidth to do that, you can get so much mileage for the toys that you do have. Like you need to own so much less, have mm-hmm. so much less out. And then it is just, it's like transformative on the days when I bring out new toys, like the fighting stops, the, the I'm hungry stops. They are so invested in exploring and playing. And I love open-ended toys too, right? Like you don't have toys that make noise or do stuff for them. It's, it's really basic stuff. A lot of it's super old, like some mm-hmm. of it was mine and they just create and imagine and 
I love the toy swap that he talks about in that book. But I also, when I hear you say toy swap, it makes me think of if you do have friends close by that you can actually swap toys with too every so often. I feel like that's a really fun thing to do. I do that with my cousins. So my friends and I talk about doing that. We have like not gotten organized enough, but it's like our dream. Like we want to do it. Again, it's kind of thinking outside the box, how you're spending money and what you're prioritizing. It, It really can end up in being financially independent. And that's, I think that's a goal for all of us. So where can listeners find you if they want to connect with you, read your blog, tell us more about that. So you can find me at frugalwoods.com. That is my blog. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at frugalwoods. And then my book is Meet the Frugal Woods, Achieving Financial Independence Through Simple Living. Mm-hmm. And that is available wherever books are sold and also at your local library. And if your library doesn't have it, you can request that they order it. Great. Well, as we wrap things up here, I'm going to ask you the two questions that I ask every guest. And the first one is, what is something that you're simplifying right now, aka what is your minimalist moment of the week? Oh, I am trying to simplify what the kids and I take with us when we go out on our adventures and outings, because I felt like I was this like pack animal with, you know, like every change of clothes and every snack possible. And so now they have a little, they have these little backpacks, which I got at a garage sale for a dollar each and they get to pack what they want in there. So like my three-year-old packed a bunch of Lincoln logs and I was like, I don't think you're going to need those sweetie and a plastic hammer, but they can put their snack, their sunglasses, t-shirt if they wanted it in there. And then we went on a hike and I actually took nothing with me. And this was like so liberating because what I also realized is that if I don't have it, they do not ask for it. And so I was not getting the constant like, can I have my raisins? Can I, I was like, well, look in your backpack. What do you have? Lincoln logs, I think. And that has, I'm trying to kind of reframe my mindset because I've always been this Girl Scout of like, I need to be prepared for every possible thing. It was making me feel crazy to leave the house. So I'm really working hard on just saying, well, that's the choice you made for your boots. I don't have another pair. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be a lot easier when they don't see me with a backpack. I literally had my phone and my keys. And that mm-hmm. was it. So I'm, I'm trying to simplify in that regard. Yeah. I feel like there's an element of natural consequences with that too, that I like yes. to teach with. So I appreciate Oh my that. gosh. We've had a lot of conversations about footwear because the snow is melting. Yeah. We're learning a lot about that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, my last question for you is what is something that you can't stop talking about? And this can be in regards to minimalism, simplicity, or just something that you really love. So this is kind of not related to either of these things, but it's related to podcasts. I am obsessed with two podcasts right now, which have really helped me to think a little bit more holistically about my life. So one is called Terrible Thanks for Asking with Nora McInerney. And the other is called Maintenance Phase with Aubrey Gordon and Michael Hobbs. And these have both really helped me to dig into empathy and into understanding people whose lives are very different from my own Mm -hmm. and is helping me to bring into question a lot of biases that I have. So I really recommend those two podcasts. Well, Liz, thank you so much for joining me today. I highly recommend your book. So if listeners haven't checked that out yet, I, again, get it from the library, get it on Amazon, wherever books are sold. And I think that you've provided some really great tips and just at your a really great example that this can be done and of what it looks like to prioritize fulfillment. I, I love that you said that. I'm going to keep going back to that. And um, I just appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me.
Thank you again to Liz for joining me today. She truly does inspire me to veer from the norm and to really prioritize what we can when it comes to fulfillment. What simple shift will you make moving forward? I'd love to know. I invite you to keep the conversation going at minimalistmomspodcast.com. There you'll find links to the Instagram account, Facebook page, and where you can find me all around the web. Thank you for joining up on this journey. I wish you a lovely week as you think more and do with less.